excited. Uh, my mom's here, and she's from Pittsburgh. Hi, Mom. Stand up, Mom. Come on. That's my mom. Yeah, no, it's good. Thank you. My brother and his, uh, his fiance Kobe, are here, and we're thankful. I'm just real thankful. I spent the whole weekend hanging out with them, and uh, I love when they can come to town. We don't get to see each other very often, um, but uh, she watches online a lot, my mom. She's always like, I tuned in. Uh, so I try not to tell too many embarrassing stories for me growing up. Because uh, of that, she's watching. Um, but I wanted to get into God's Word today. Uh, we're in a series called Rooted, and this series is really stretching me and growing me. And what we're doing is we're learning to live by the fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, Paul says that there are these um, kind of attributes that are meant to flow out of our lives because we belong to Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives within us. And if we go into John chapter 15, Jesus says to remain in me and I'll remain in you. And if you do that, you're going to bear much fruit. What does that fruit look like? Paul tells us this is what that looks like. It's the character of Jesus, the character of Christ shining in and through our lives. And so each week, uh, for nine weeks, we're taking, we're looking at one of those attributes, one of those uh, pieces of the fruit of the Spirit, and we're learning what that means. Um, and so last week, we talked about love, and we said that the love of Jesus, the love that flowed to us, must now flow through us. Uh, we have to love like we've been loved. We have to love others the same way that Jesus has loved us. And when it doesn't work that way, there's, there's a problem. Now, the second one, Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Joy. We're going to talk about joy. Now, what I told you last week is that each of these attributes um, are unique, now, you're going to find things like love in this world, and you can say, well, love exists, but I want you to know every one of these words that's being used, what is meant behind them is that it's unique. It's different than what you could find anywhere else in the world. I showed you that pair uh, last week and showed you there are all kinds of different kinds of pair, but there's only one that grows in one place. The love that we were talking about last week is only a love that is born or can grow from God. It's only his love. It's that. Now, this joy we're talking about is the same way, that we can find ideas of joy and, and kind of pictures of joy in this world, but they're incomplete comparable to the joy that's promised here. This is what I call the joy of the Lord. This is a different kind of joy than you could find anywhere else in this world. And you cannot find this joy outside of a relationship with Jesus. I'll tell you that starting out. This is the joy. And so we want to talk some more about that and understand it a bit more. Um, I wanted to tell you a few things that are unique about this kind of joy. The first thing is this joy is dependent on Jesus. This is a joy that you can't find outside of him. It's dependent on him and on a relationship with Jesus. The second is that this joy is different and it's deeper than happiness. Don't miss this, church. It's different and it's deeper than happiness. If you'd actually look up a definition of joy, um, it's very similar to that of happiness, just like an overwhelming amount of happiness. Now we can see if you go back a few decades, you know, don't worry, be happy. You can hear songs. There's songs that have been written all about being happy, and, and there's movies that have been. I'm thinking about the pursuit of happiness with Will Smith and wanting to just pursue and find happiness. And so many, that's the goal of our lives. We just want to be happy. We don't want to be sad. We don't want to be upset. We want, don't want to be lonely. We want to be happy. But I want you to know the joy that God's talking about here is something that's different and it's deeper than just happiness. Here's why. Because happiness is based on my circumstances. 
Happiness is based on how things are going in my life. And I want you to, yes, if I'm healthy today, I'm happy. Yes, if I have a job and a roof over my head, I'm happy. Yes, if my car is working right, I'm happy. Yes, if I'm in, in that relationship and everything is good, then I'm happy. But man, when the diagnosis comes, are you still happy? I'm, I'm not always happy. Uh, if that report, whenever uh, I lose that job, whenever things aren't going well at work, when things aren't going well in my marriage, man, I'm not happy. I always ask my wife, are you happy? And she's like, what do you mean? Am I happy? Yes, I'm happy. But you know, there are times that we're not happy. We're frustrated. Um, now that happiness is based on our circumstances. I want you to know something today. The joy that God promises, the joy that we're going to talk about this morning is a joy that goes deeper than just happiness. It's one that is greater than your circumstances. It's one that you can experience even when everything else is falling apart. You can tap into this joy. And you can be strengthened by it. This is the joy that God promises. It's different and deeper than happiness. Here's what I said about it being dependent on Jesus. Look what Jesus says himself. He says in John chapter 15, verse 11, he said, I have told you this, all these words that you've heard, I've said them so that my joy might be in you and your joy may be complete or full. Jesus said, everything I've spoken to you about remaining in me, about my word remaining in you, about my love being in you and through you, I've told you everything I've told you so that my joy could be in you and that that joy, your joy, can now be complete. That's dependent on him. This is a different kind of joy than the world can give you. This is a different kind of joy than your job can give you or your spouse can give you. This is the joy that comes from Jesus, the joy of the Lord. It's dependent on him. And it's greater than our circumstances. Look what Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 16, starting in verse 19. It says this, that Jesus was telling him he's about to die. And he said, when he saw that they were wanting to ask him about this, he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more? Then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. And you will grieve but your grief will be turned to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because her joy, that child has been born into the world. There's a joy that comes. So with you, now is your time for grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. Ready? And no one will take away your joy. No one will take away your joy. So this is what Jesus is saying in that moment. He said, I'm going to give you a joy that will be in you and no one will be able to take it from you. No circumstance will be able to take it from you. Man, I'd ask myself as I walk through this week, do I have that joy in my life? Do I have the joy that Jesus promises? Because if I don't, then I want it, Lord. I, and if you said I could have it, then, I, then why, why can't I? Lord, I want everything that you have for me. Here's what I've realized that we have an enemy, a very real enemy. Pastor Paul said we're praying, you know, the enemy, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I want you to know something today. I heard Pastor Simbola up at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. We were just there on Tuesday. And in uh, some of his messages, you'll hear him say this over and over again. He says the enemy has a theme. He has a mission. It's to kill, steal, and destroy. And what is it that he wants to steal from your life? Do you think it's your money? He, he, he has all the money he needs. Think it's your car? He gets around just fine. Is it your house? No, no, he doesn't. You know what he wants to steal? He wants to steal the fruit out of your life. He wants to steal your first love. Yes, he does. He wants to steal your joy. I heard you saying, you know what he wants to steal. The question is, for some of you, has he already taken it? Is it gone? Some of you are just honest. You're like, man, like, I don't feel the way that I once did. I want you to know something. Joy isn't just about a momentary feeling. 
It's about a daily disposition. It's a way that you're planted. It's a way that you live your life now. I know for some of you, you thought about your life whenever you first came to Jesus and you thought about the joy that filled your life whenever you just experienced the newness of that relationship. It's likened to a new relationship or a new marriage. There's all this joy. And then as time goes on, it's like, well, where did that joy go that I once had? I thought of it like this. There are many different kinds of plants that we can plant and flowers that we can plant into uh, this time of the year and put in our yards or put in our garden. I think of uh, annuals. Does anyone know what annuals are? Annual flowers? Come on, whenever you look out at the Home Depot this week, you can go and you can buy some of these. You can take them, you can plant them in your yard, and you can make your yard look beautiful. I mean, amazing. But I want you to know, if you let those live and then the season ends, what happens? They die. Are they coming back next year? No. They're just here for one season, that's it. I want you to know, some of us, man, we have approached joy in that same way, that it's just been there for one little season, and it's all gone. We don't know where it went. But I want you to know that's not the way that God designed this joy to be in us. Now, some of us, we, we know of another type of flower, don't we? Not annuals, but perennials. You know about perennials, right? You plant those, and they look beautiful. And then guess what? They die, and they go through that bad, you know, difficult season, and they're all gone, and then they come back again next year. And they come back, and they come back. I've, I've inherited some flowers and some, some things that bloom in my yard that I'd never planted there, but they're still there season after season after season. And you say, okay, that's kind of like the joy that God brings into our life, right? Like it's there, and it's not there for a little while, and then it's back. And I want you to know that's still not the joy. I want you to know some of us, we think that's it. Like I go through these seasons, I have the joy of God in my heart and the joy of the Lord, and then it's gone, and then it comes back. Some of it, it's here at Christmas, and then it goes away for a little while, and then come out of the grave at Easter. You know, yeah, I got that joy again. And then I got the long summer until Christmas. And, you know, that's not it. It's not meant to be this seasonal disposition. It's a daily disposition. Because I want you to know there's a different kind of um, growth that happens. There's a different kind of fruitfulness. And it doesn't look as flashy or as pretty, but I talked to you about it a few uh, weeks ago when I asked you which kind of Christmas tree you have, uh, a live one, a dead one, a fake one, um, and it's called an evergreen. Do you know why we call it an evergreen? Because in every season it's green. In every season it's fruitful. And I want you to know in the winter, in the dead cold, you can go up into the mountains and it's still green. And you can go into all the different climates. And you can go into the, the hillsides and in rocks. And it's growing and it's always fruitful in every season. I want you, the joy of the Lord is evergreen. It's meant to be evergreen in our lives. Always fruitful, always alive. That's God's desire for us. He said no one will ever be able to take it away from you. But if it's missing today, man, let's see God restore it. Amen. Let's go get it. <laughs> Say, Lord, I want it if that's what you have for me. So let's take a look in God's word. We're going to understand more about this joy, about how we can have it, how we can live in that joy every single day. In Nehemiah chapter 8, would you turn there with me in the Old Testament? In Nehemiah chapter 8, I'm going to just uh, describe it to you just a little while you're flipping there in your Bibles today. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we see this is all about a story of rebuilding. You see, the people of God had been removed from Israel for 70 years. They had been taken as captives in exile. And as they were taken as captives and held in slavery by the Assyrians and by the Babylonians, um, their, their hope was kind of shattered. And Israel and Jerusalem, the city, was thrown into ruins. It was just decimated. All the walls were torn down. The temple was just in disrepair. There was so much chaos, so much ruin all around them. 
But God had a plan. And 70 years after they had gone away, they were returning and they returned in waves. Three waves of people came back. And God was allowing there to be a rebuilding to take place. And it was so much more than just a physical rebuilding. But in every way, God was restoring them. And God sent and, and really used two people in particular during this time. One of them, his name was Nehemiah, who God had given a vision. When he saw the walls that were broken down, he wept, and God birthed a vision in his heart to rebuild the walls. And he rallied the people, and he unified them, and he said, come on, let's go take part in this great rebuilding effort. And then there was another man that God used. His name was Ezra. He was the teacher of the law. And Ezra was one who was in the same way about a rebuilding project. He was about rebuilding the relationship between the people and God by teaching them about God and helping them to know his word. And so we see these men used by God working together in certain points. Right here in chapter 8, we see it. And God's doing a great transformative work. And we pick up right in the middle of that. And I want to just read to you. Because Ezra begins to read the, the book of the law to the people. And I want to just jump straight down to verse 8, if you'll look there with me. And it says, they read from the book of the law, and they had been reading for a long time. And look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. And here's what it says. It says, they read from the book of the law, and they made it clear in giving meaning so that the people understood what was being read. What does this mean? This means that the people heard the word of God, the scriptures, for the first time in their own language in their entire lives. See, they heard it, but it would have been in another language. They heard it in their own language, and they understood what it meant. And this did something to them. For the first time in the midst of all their rebuilding, they pause and they're listening to Ezra teach them and talk to them about God, about this relationship with God. And in verse 9, it says, Then Nehemiah the governor, and Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law, and the Levites, those who were instructing the people, said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, because all the people had been weeping as they listened to the word of the law. And Nehemiah said this, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people down, saying, Be still. This is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, and they sent portions of food to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Lord, help us to understand these same words. Lord, help us to have a joy, the joy of the Lord, and may it strengthen us in every single way. See, for them, they, they understood something they didn't understand before. Do you know what we call that whenever that happens in your life? It's called a revelation. When something that's unclear becomes known. And you'll see, if you actually start in verse 1, you'll see they understood. Everyone who could understand, understand. And then they got it. And when they got it, something opened up for them. And in that moment of revelation, God was restoring to them something. And he said, no, no, don't grieve. Don't be sad. You don't need to mourn because the joy of the Lord is your strength now. Your strength isn't any anything else, but it's in the joy of the Lord. So what is the joy of the Lord? And, and how can it be our strength today? God gives us some insight into this because I believe that there are three revelations, three moments of understanding that need to come into your life. And I believe that when those happen for you, you will find a joy that you've never had before. The joy of the Lord will fill your heart. The joy of the Lord will begin to strengthen you. And the joy of the Lord will be rooted in you in such a way 
that you'll never, never allow anything to take that away. You'll always have it. And you could see this. If you look through, I, I couldn't get into all the passages of Scripture today. I can't even cover the ones that are in my notes this morning. Um, but I'm talking about other ones. Want to go into Philippians? Want to go into some other books of the New Testament where Paul's in prison and he's going to die for his faith? And he's like, rejoice in the Lord always. That's where that comes from, everyone. The song we just sang and all that excitement, that's what a guy wrote the words to that as he, not the words to the song, but the words to the verses behind that. He's writing those from a prison cell. You get that, right? And he's like, rejoice in the Lord always. Just rejoice in him. I have joy. I'm hard-pressed every time. But there's a joy that's there. It's deep, deep down. It's where no one else can touch it. You want to know what the big idea for today's message is? Last week I said the, the love that flowed to you must flow. All right, this one, I got one. I don't think you're going to forget. You ready? I got the joy, 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 joy. Where? I got the... Where? Say that again. Last two words. Come on, and, and, and what key is that? Let's get in the right key. No, real loud. Come on, those last two words. That's the most theologically accurate song that's ever been written. I want you to know that because when I spent the entire week praying through this message, I'm like, Lord, what does this mean? What is it you want? He wants the joy of the Lord buried deep in your heart to stay forever in every season, in every circumstance that you walk through. So I want you to know something. That's the goal today, that the joy of the Lord would deep in your heart, and it would be in a place where nothing could ever touch it, where no circumstance could ever shake it. You know, I, I want to just share with you this picture of that of what that looks like. And James Cameron, uh, who you might remember, he's famous in documenting things and producing movies and directing. He uh, was commissioned to go out into the Pacific Ocean, and they wanted to capture footage from the depths of the deepest parts of the sea. And I think if you look ahead there on the slides, you actually see I have a video of this. If you go out in the Pacific Ocean, out near Guam, you can go down into the Mariana Trench, which is one of the deepest places in the ocean you can ever explore. And they went down and they were capturing footage of what's going on down there on the ocean floor. And what they found is in the ocean, there's all kinds of moving water. There are currents. And those currents are moving things along. And you'll see that they're doing a lot and shifting. And up on the top edge of the sea, that's where all the storms and the waves and the winds are happening. But when you go down into these depths, you'll find there that if there was a seashell that fell and fell into the sand, there was one piece of something that sunk to that level it's so still down there that there's no movement. It could have rested there and it hasn't moved an inch in over a thousand years because there is no movement. There's just a stillness. There's like a, a peace that's resting there. I want you to know that the joy of the Lord is meant to be in your heart, buried in such a place that every circumstance that comes into your life, that's the stuff that happens in the, the upper part, the storms that come. They don't shake what's going on down there. And then even the streams and the movement of life and the change in direction and the change in circumstances. Yes, all that happens, but there's a joy that's buried deeper. And so if something up there is looking to disturb your joy, it's buried in such a place in your heart and life that it's beneath the surface. Are you with me? It's in this place that God can only put it. And so whatever you go through in this life, you can have access to that joy. You can find peace in that place. 
because of what God's done. So let's discover where that is and how that works. And to do that, I want to bring you to the New Testament now. Because there's a parallel passage, I believe, to what's happening um, inside of here of Nehemiah. And you're going to see the same theme of joy happening in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. So when we talk about what is the joy of the Lord, what is this joy that Nehemiah is talking about? What is this joy that God promises? Because if you look at God's promises, you'll see them all over the place. I'm reminded of God's promise in uh, Psalm 30, verse 11. In Psalm 30, 11, he says that there's going to be mourning for the night, but the joy comes in the morning. He says, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have turned and closed me, uh, taken away my clothes of mourning and closed me with joy. God promises this joy just to come into our lives. And Luke chapter 15 is a, is a chapter where Jesus is disclosing and helping us see and understand the joy of the Lord, the joy of God in heaven. He gives us a picture. He pulls back the curtain and says, I want to show you what's happening in heaven. I want to show you the joy that God has and what fills his heart with joy and what causes him to rejoice. And so look at this with me. In there, you're going to see there are three stories that are telling one story. And I want to get to the third story because I believe that it's there that we can also see these revelations that I want to talk to you about today. There's three revelations that turn you from wherever you are today to experiencing the joy of the Lord down in your heart to stay. The first thing is you need to have a revelation of ruin in your life. There must be a revelation of ruin. And here in Luke chapter 15, we see that there is a story. It says a man had two sons. And one of his sons asked for his inheritance early. To do that would be very disrespectful. Even today, to do that would be very disrespectful. You're basically saying, I wish you were dead so I can have what's mine. And he says that to his father, and his father gives him what he asks for. And immediately he leaves, he moves away, he disowns his family, takes what he wants, and he goes, and he wastes it on wild living. And before long, he is in another place, in another country, and he is all alone, and then he has nothing. And when everything's stripped away from him, he has to go and he has to sell himself to a man from that country, and he has to then go into the field and feed the pigs. That's the only job he could find. And this was such a degrading job for a Jewish man because for them, that was defiling themselves. It was for them to become unclean to tend to the pigs in the field. And this man not only was tending to the pigs, but the Bible goes on to say, which we'll see in just a moment, that he became so hungry and so desperate that he was longing to eat what the pigs were eating. I mean, that's his level of desperation. Look with me at what it says here in Luke chapter 15, verses 15 through 17. It says, so he went and hired himself out as a citizen of that country who sent him into the field to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Here's the revelation of ruin. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. That's the moment. It's a moment when you're shaken out of whatever it is that you're walking through and you have a moment of clarity and realize everything has fallen apart and you understand how far you've fallen, how far things have become broken. For many of us, this is a moment in our lives. This was the turning point of us turning and putting our faith in Jesus. Do you remember where you were when you first called on the name of the Lord? 
Do you remember how far God has rescued from? I know how far he's rescued me from, but there's times I just need to be reminded of that. Lord, thank you. If it weren't for your grace, I don't know where I'd be. But it all starts with a moment of just a revelation of ruin, like things are not as they should be. You know what's happening when we go back to Nehemiah chapter 8? Whenever he was reading the words of the law, he was reading the Bible to them, the scriptures in their day, they're reading it, and they already understood the history, and they knew. We went into slavery. We went into captivity. Seventy years ago, all this stuff happened. We understand why the ruins are here. But there was a revelation that came to them when they heard the word of God that made sense of the ruins that were right in front of them. It was whenever they actually heard, they understood, hold on, this isn't about the Assyrians or the Babylonians. This is about our sin before God. That's what caused all of this. Are you with me, church? That's what drove us to this place. I want you to know, you will see things in your life that have become ruined, things that are broken, and you think it's your spouse, and you think it's your, your, your job, it's your lot, it's your upbringing, it's all these other things. I want you to know it's none of those problems. It's first and foremost a sin problem. It's between you and God. And there are times that we're going to want to blame everyone else for those things. But God can bring to you in a moment just a revelation to help you understand and make sense of the ruins in your life. And when you see God, first and foremost, man, is this something between you and me? That's where things start to turn around. He had a revelation of ruin. The people in, Je in Nehemiah, that's why they were weeping. They understood where they had fallen. They understood how far they were from God. But the second revelation that comes, which is so important, it's a revelation of return. So it isn't just that everything's broken and everything's hopeless, but that there's a way to get home. There's hope to find there. There's a way to go back. I don't have to stay right where I am. There's a revelation that we could return. Now, in Nehemiah's time, this was happening instantaneously because they're there building a wall. They had already returned. So they had their revelation of ruin and instantly. They're realizing God's been so gracious to us. We don't even deserve to come back, and here we are. We're right here, and we, we, we don't even deserve it. So they have this revelation of return. Now, for the prodigal son in, in Luke chapter 15, what does he say? He said, how many of my father's hired hands have to eat like this? So we go down to verse 18. It says, so I will set out and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And then he went up and he went on his way to his father. There's a moment when you realize that you can turn to your father in heaven. And even in that moment, I want you to know you can always turn to him. And I want you to know he's, he's, he's always there. The door's always open. You can always come home. Some of you, you know what it's been like for your family to even shut you out or for you as a loved one to have to shut out someone in your life and they're not welcome back. I want you to know God never shuts the door. I want you to know he never shuts the door. You could always come home. There's nothing you could have ever done. Man, you could be in the, you could say, man, when you tell that story, what I've done makes that look like nothing. I want you to know there's always a way home. There's always a way to return. You've never gone too far. I want you to know his arms are always open and ready. And so for him, he figures this out. And this is religion 101. I've messed up. I want to get back to God and I'm going to make a way so I could earn my way back into the house. I want you to know, for so many of us, we've inherited the same way of thinking. When we have messed things up, we're always going to be trying to figure out how can I fix it? How can I make it better? How can I do enough to get there? And this is, this is, what, this is what really messes with me. Because in Nehemiah, 
when we look there, they're in the middle of rebuilding. The walls haven't been finished yet. My thought would be this. If I were God, okay, and I was the one writing this story, here's how it would go. You have a revelation of ruin. Great, you finally got it. You finally understand how far you've fallen. Now get up, get back to work, finish this wall, and then we can celebrate. But what does Nehemiah say? He didn't say, great, you got it. You're crying, good, now let's get back to work. He said, no, let's stop and let's celebrate because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Do you know why? Because it's in that very moment of return that the joy of heaven begins to unleash. I want you to know that for me, it's, it's just changed so much in my own heart to realize what's going on here. That it isn't when we've made it right. It isn't when we've done enough good. It isn't anything that would then cause God to rejoice over us. It's when our heart begins to turn to him. It's at the very moment while we're still dead in our sin, while we're still filthy in the fields, while we're still broken, the, so, the second we turn to God, it's then that the joy is released in heaven. Do you know that? So we look here in Luke chapter 15. This is what Jesus wants us to know. He tells two stories before that about a lost sheep and a lost coin. And if you read there, he says, whenever the person finds the lost sheep, he picks him up rejoicing and he goes and he says to all his friends, let's throw a party because what was lost has now been found. And they begin celebrating. He said, and I tell you the truth, this is what happens in heaven when one person repents. You know what it means to repent? It means to turn. When one person begins to return. And he says it again about the lost coin. This woman finds the coin and she finds it and she throws a party. And I'm like, what did the coin do to deserve that party? What did the lamb do to deserve that party? They did nothing. They were just found. But it was like the rejoicing had begun because what was lost was now found. I want you to know something today. That oftentimes, whenever I, I give an opportunity for someone to accept Jesus and put their faith in Jesus, I then pray a prayer with them. And that prayer is for them to accept Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And I've always thought in my own heart and mind, because the Bible promises that heaven rejoices when that happens, I said, well, then when I say amen, that's when the party in heaven begins. Nope. You know when the party begins in heaven? The moment that person decides in their heart, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to return to Jesus. It's in that moment that the party goes off. I want you to know it's in the moment of that revelation of return that as you're turning towards God in your own heart, even before you've articulated anything, the Father's joy is already being lavished on you before you've done one thing to earn it. Are you with me? Does that, does that mess with you like it messes with me? It just rocks me to think that because I'm all about figuring out I got to earn it. I got to say the right things. I gotta. So the son, he comes back home and he's going to say the right things. Father, I've sinned against you. Father, I've messed these things up, and, and, I, and, I, and I just want to come home. Look what it says in verse 18. I'm sorry, in verse 20, the rest of verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. He tackled him to the ground with his great love. I want you to know this is before he said anything. This is before he's taken a shower. Come on. Come on, it's a Jewish man that's going to go and tackle his son and kiss him openly when his son is filthy. And this father defiled himself religiously. He couldn't go worship God now. Listen, he couldn't go and worship God because of what he just did to his son. He went and embraced his son while his son had filth of swines on him. He went to those great lengths 
He humbled himself publicly even in front of, his, in front of all of his neighbors because his love was so great, his joy was so great that his son was returning home, that his son was coming home. I want you to know, you think God is going to be standing there when you finally turn back to him and he's like, it's about time. It's about time you got your life together. I've been waiting. No, he does. His joy is over you. He loves you. He wraps his arms around you. His desire, his joy is to restore your life. And before the son, so now the son's stammering to even say what's going on. He says in verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer be worthy to be called your son. He gets cut off. Look what it says in verse 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, come on, bring the best robe. Bring my robe. Put it on him. Bring my ring, that ring, put it on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate because this son of mine was lost. He was dead. Now he's alive. He's lost. Now he's found. And they began to celebrate. There's just a party. There's a party. This is a picture that Jesus gives of heaven when the lost become found. When someone begins to turn their heart to God and they say, I'm ready. I'm ready to come home. They can come in their own way. They can say, I'm going to come trying to earn my way. But God's like, no, my love has already made a way. I've already paid a price. I've already made it possible for you to return. It's the Father's joy. In the moment, that a heart turns in a moment of repentance, true repentance, it unleashes the joy of heaven. I want you to know that. Hear that, okay? And then the moment that you begin to fully realize what he's done for you, because I think here's what happens in this moment. This prodigal has no idea. He can't even get the sentence out. He had his plan. His plan was gone the moment his father tackled him with love and begins kissing. It's like, what do I get? Father, I've sinned against you. I, he's like... Get the robe, and he clothes, clothes over his filth. Look at this. He covers him. He covers him. He covers him with his own robe. He puts his ring on his finger, a sign of authority, a sign of restoration. He puts his sandals on his feet because sons and daughters aren't barefoot in their father's house. He says, you're not a servant, you're a son. He invites him. He fully restores him. Then he throws a lavish celebration this is the joy of heaven. And I want you to know, when that happens, all the son can do is just stand there and just like, just stand there. And he receives all these things. Come on up, Pastor Rick. And as that happens, this unleashing of just love that flows into this, this man's life it has to change everything. The joy of heaven happens. There's a celebration in heaven when one person repents. There's joy in heaven. But I want you to know, that it's when you begin to then realize and you have a revelation of God's restorative power in your life, it's in that moment when the joy of heaven fills your own heart. It's in that moment that the celebration, the joy of heaven, Jesus said, I'm going to put my joy in you and no one will ever be able to take it away. That's when that joy now gets downloaded into your heart. You know what it is? It's the joy of your salvation. It's the joy of God's restoration of your life. When you begin to realize all that Jesus has done for you, when you turn your heart to him, when you commit yourself to follow him fully, it's in that moment that you get a revelation of his restoration power in your life. It's not just that he's willing, he is able. And he's able to do it and he'll do it for you if you'll turn to him completely. And in that moment when he restores you, I want you to know his joy becomes your joy. His joy floods into your heart 
And in that moment, there's nothing you could do that, but rejoice in that. You rejoice in the Lord. You rejoice in what he's done in your life. You rejoice in the fact that he saved you and that he set you apart and he's rescued you. And I want you to know that joy is meant to fill the deepest part of you. It becomes foundational now. There is no circumstance. There is nothing, not life, nor death, not anything that can separate you from that love. And I want you to know that joy then can now fill you and hold you and keep you in any storm that you might walk through. And it undergirds you. It strengthens you. Look at Psalm 30, 11 again. You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and you've clothed me with joy. That boy, he walked in with, with, with rags and the father put a robe over him. It was his joy to restore his child. I want you to know today, you might feel very far from God if you're honest with yourself. And I want you to know wherever you are, your hearts turn away from him. In the moment your heart begins to turn to him, I want you to know God's going to meet you with joy and with celebration and with love like you've never experienced before. It's his joy to restore you. It's his joy to love you in that way. What is the joy of the Lord? It's his deep abiding gladness that fills a heart that's been restored by God. It is a joy that fills and floods into your heart when you've been restored by God. And it's his joy to do just that, to strengthen you, to strengthen you in every way. I want you to know something today, that God wants to bring that joy into your heart and into your life. He wants to restore it if it's gone. And man, you might have been walking with God for some time now, but your, your Christianity has been joyless. You've been going through the motions. I think of the son that shows up, the other son. The other son who has been faithful, the other son who followed all the rules, the other son who never took anything and never wasted anything. And when he shows up, you know what, what you could really say is missing in him? He has everything. He has the house. He has everything. You know what he doesn't have? He doesn't have the joy. He has no joy in what's happening in that moment because something was wrong in his spirit. His spirit was wrong. When you look back at Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 17, there's something really interesting that happens here. It says, that when everyone returned from exile, right after they celebrated, they went out into the wilderness and they built these kind of temporary shelters. And, and it's called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. What, what God wanted the people to do was to go back and during a feast, they would live in the wilderness in booths again. And they would just build these booths even around their houses. And they would stay in them. And it would be to, uh, to remember that God led them out of Egypt and gave them freedom. It was a way for them to remember God's restoration power in their lives. That he set them free. That they're not slaves anymore. They belong to him. They're children of God. And he, he wanted to just remind them of that. And it says that after they celebrated and after this revelation, it says the whole company, they returned from exile. They built these temporary shelters and they lived in them. And from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. And so I, my initial take and what I was going to tell you was, oh, this means that from the time of Joshua all the way till then, they had forgotten about this feast. They had, forgot, they had just never done this feast. And then as you study, that's absolutely not the case. They had done this feast over and over and over again. And so I said, Lord, your word can't be false, so what does this mean? You studied a little bit, you realize something. It wasn't whether they had done it or not done it, is had they ever done it like this. They had never done it like this. They had never celebrated it like this. With what? With a different spirit, with a different heart. With a heart 
that is gracious and, and satisfied in God, that is full of joy. Why? Because they understood the words that had been spoken to them. They understood that the joy of the Lord is their strength. And they were doing, they could be doing the same thing, the right thing, but they had the wrong spirit within them. And I want you to know it's very possible for you to go through all the motions, sing all the songs, do all the right things, but you do it in the wrong spirit, and it's not the right thing in God's sight. But it said they did the right thing the right way with the right spirit, with the right heart behind it. And it unleashed joy in their hearts and in their lives. Today, I'm praying that heaven will just release joy in your heart today, that the joy of heaven will fill your heart. Maybe you came in here singing, going through the motions, but man, you have no joy if you're honest. Today, I believe that God wants to restore that unto you. So would you stand to your feet right now with me? And as we get ready, we're gonna just have an altar call. And this altar call is gonna really prepare the way for the baptisms that are about to come. This altar call is for every person that needs the joy of the Lord to become their strength again. I don't want anyone to leave except those that are about to be baptized. If you're about to be baptized, you can go. If not, everyone, just please hold your, hold your place. But if you need the joy of the Lord to be your strength right now, because when you tap into that joy and you live with it, it strengthens you. And if you need that joy restored unto you, I want to pray for you. But I believe it's important for you to take a step, a step of just returning, just saying, God, man, I thought things were pretty good, but I don't have that joy and I want that joy. And just come rest in his presence. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. And I'm gonna pray this over you right now before you respond. Psalm 51, verses 10 through 13. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is a psalm of repentance. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore. Come on, if you need him to restore, then just lift your hand right now. Restore unto me, Lord, the joy of your salvation and grant a willing spirit within me to sustain me. And then I'll teach others, Lord, your ways so that sinners can turn back to you. Lord, I pray that restoration power fills every heart and every life that needs it today. And I pray for the person right now that you're in a place where you're far from God and you've never surrendered your life completely to Jesus. I, I feel you're here today. And if that's you right now, right where you're at, would you just wave at me? I want to pray for you to accept Jesus if that's you. Say, Pastor, I need that. I need to turn to Jesus for the first time. That you just lift your hand high above your head right now. I'm going to pray this prayer with you right now. Pray with me from the bottom of your heart. Dear Jesus, I turn my heart to you today. I turn my life to you today. I confess my sin and I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today, as we're closing out, we're going to go into a few songs of worship as we're getting ready for this baptism. But I want you to come, church. I want you to fill this altar. We got time. We got time today. We're going to be celebrating with those that are going to be baptized. Some of you, for the first time, are going to step out of your seats and you're going to be baptized. You weren't even planning on it, but God's done something in your heart. But, but in this meantime, would you come, if you just desire the Lord to restore that joy in your heart and in your life, just come to these altars and just begin to pray and worship. Pastor Rick and the team are going to lead us. But if you're just desiring for a restoration of that joy in your heart and life. Just come as we worship and as we transition. And Pastor Paul's going to come up and he'll transition us into baptisms.